tremendous thought went into what should be discussed during this premiere episode, and it undoubtedly had to be the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac. In conversation, and in my own thoughts, I come back to this story again and again. Here's why. There is a way that we read stories. No matter what it is, we approach it from a certain point of view, a certain understanding of the world, a certain idea of the context. If we are not careful, we can completely miss the point because we aren't seeing through the appropriate lens. If we are too quick, we can grab a certain takeaway and miss out on the deeper meaning. This is especially true of, one, the Bible, and two, stories that we've heard again and again, that we've grown up with, and whose greatest moments have become merely commonplace trivia. With that in mind, let's discuss a story that you've probably heard too many times, and it comes from a book called The Bible. Good morrow, everybody. My name is Ben Laboot, and welcome to Stories of Symmetry, revealing beauty and purpose through another look at faith, the sacred, and the stories that unite us all. The first book of the Bible is called Bereshit. In the Christian tradition, it is known as Genesis. A vast portion of this book focuses on a man called Abraham, who today is honored as the father of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Druze, and others. Traditions that are eponymously termed Abrahamic religions. Today, I want to examine a particular story about Abraham. First, I will present the common telling of it, the way that many of us, myself included, might have grown up hearing it. But then I want to peel back the superficial, investigate the deeper layers, and perhaps shed light on what was really going on and what important conclusions might be drawn. To begin, however, we need some backstory about our protagonist. The Bible first mentioned him not as Abraham, but as Abram, and he lived in a place called Haran. The god that he and his family worshipped told Abram to move to another land, a place called Canaan. It is very possible that Abram's father Terah once received the same instruction, yet did not obey. However, when Abram was called, he went. He effectively said, My god, I will leave the land of my home, the land that I know, and I will follow you into an unknown place, and I trust that you will lead me. Throughout the story, we find that Abram did not always make the best choices. He was not a morally outstanding individual, and he, in many ways, did not fit the archetype of a holy man. Nevertheless, Abram acted on his faith in God, and for that was called the friend of God. At one point, Abram had his name changed by God from Abram, which likely meant exalted father, to Abraham, which likely meant father of nations. Both of these names were ironic, however, because he had no children. And by the time of his name change, he was an old man, and his wife Sarah was past her childbearing years. Even still, God told Abraham 
that he would become the father of nations, with so many descendants that trying to count them would be like attempting to number the grains of sand on the beach. Months turned to years after God promised Abraham and Sarah a child, yet still nothing. Eventually, they more or less attempted to take matters into their own hands. Abraham took Sarah's maidservant as a concubine, and nine months later, a boy named Ishmael was born. But while Ishmael was indeed Abraham's son, he was not the fulfillment of God's promise. Ishmael was suppositious, more of a bastard than a true heir. Eventually, though, Abraham and Sarah did miraculously conceive, and God blessed them with a true son, Isaac. It is a bit unclear exactly when, but sometime after Isaac's birth, God spoke to Abraham and told him to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, to our modern ears, that is a barbaric request. But make no mistake, child sacrifice was always barbaric and heinous. Despite that, in the day and age of Abraham, it, sadly, was not uncommon. And it is not unreasonable to assume that Abraham, although deeply troubled by God's request, understood that child sacrifice, specifically of the firstborn male, was the next step in his relationship with the deity. Unconscionable as it was, Abraham understood it to be the thing that gods ask from mortals. Abraham also understood, though, that God had promised to make him the father of a multitude of nations. So Abraham had to have faith, not knowledge of how, but faith, that even though he would sacrifice Isaac, he would still become the father of nations and have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now that we have the backstory, we can consider the focus of today's episode. The story of the sacrifice is told like this. God told Abraham to take his son Isaac to a place called Moriah, and there, go up a mountain and offer Isaac as a sacrifice to God. The next morning, Abraham prepared for the journey. He cut and gathered wood, prepared a donkey, and he his son, and two companions set out for Moriah. After three days, they arrived within view of the place. Abraham instructed the two companions to remain behind while he and his son proceeded to the place of sacrifice, Isaac with the wood, and Abraham with the fire and knife. As they got closer, Isaac noted that there was no animal for sacrifice. So he asked his father about it, saying, Look, you have the fire, and I have the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham replied, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And the Bible says that they went, both of them, together. Take a step back for a moment and consider Abraham. Imagine his inner turmoil the harrowing agony that had likely taken hold of him over the three-day journey. Then, the moment drew closer, the moment when Abraham will have to kill his only son to appease God, the son, his beloved Isaac, 
who God himself had promised, for whom Abraham and Sarah prayed so fervently, from whom a nation would descend, Isaac, the son of laughter. And yet, Abraham must prevaricate in order to keep that realization from Isaac just a little while more, to prolong his innocence as much as possible. How agonizingly difficult it must have been for Abraham to assure his son that all was well, full well knowing that it was not. Imagine the struggle that Abraham faced. And God let him. God let Abraham struggle with his duty right up to the very end. Yet when the final moment came, and Abraham raised his knife above his own son, Stop! cried the Lord. You have proven your faith, and you needn't sacrifice your son. The events concluded with Abraham finding a ram stuck in some bushes, and he took that ram and offered it to God. Because of Abraham's actions there, his willingness to follow God's command with non-parial obedience and faith, he was henceforth credited with righteousness and kept the moniker Friend of God. Imagine such a thing, a mere human being called the Friend of God. We can dissect this story in a hundred different ways and view it through as many lenses. Yet, although I'd love to, that's not the goal of this episode. The point of discussing this story is to help take you to its deeper layers and reveal something that I am confident few people realize. But before we take that step, I have just one thing to point out. What we can already see from the tale is that God is not a God who wants child sacrifices. This God's view of and expectation of humanity are unique. The God of Abraham is not like other gods, but is altogether different. So, for some of you, today's story was a new story, and for some of you, it was not. Regardless, take a moment to consider this question. How old was Isaac? Without much thought, most people feel like they have an intuitive understanding that Isaac is a small boy, perhaps six or seven, somewhere around that age. Most English translations of the Christian Bible call Isaac a, quote, boy, as when Abraham told his companions that he and the boy would proceed. Many depictions of these events portray Isaac as but a wee lad. But what if I told you that's inaccurate? What if I told you that Isaac was not a boy, but a man. Would that change the story? How can I posit that Isaac was a man, not a boy? First, if we look at the story as it was written in Hebrew, the word used is na'ar, a word that can indeed be used to refer to a grammar school boy, but it more generally is used to describe a male who is younger than the reference point. For example, if a five-year-old and a 17-year-old are standing next to each other, then the five-year-old is Na'ar. But also, if a 40-year-old is standing next to an octogenarian, then the 40-year-old is Na'ar. That word can refer to a broad range of ages. So when we read Na'ar, 
It is more of a reminder that Isaac is a young man when compared to Abraham. And of course we know this because, one, Abraham is Isaac's father, and two, because of Abraham's advanced age, as discussed in detail surrounding God's initial promise to bless the elderly Abraham and Sarah with a child. The question becomes, how old exactly? That precise detail is not mentioned in the story. However, since it does say that Isaac carried the wood, we can at least gather from the context clues that Isaac was old enough, to be strong enough, to be able to carry enough wood to burn a body to and up a mountain. Therefore, we are probably safe to assume that Isaac was at least a teenager, if not much older. And while we cannot pin an age to Isaac with certainty, I will tell you that the rabbinic tradition maintains that Isaac was 33 years old. Now, if we assume that Isaac was older than boyhood, if we assume that this is true, then what changes about the story? What new truths can be learned from it? First, let's reflect on the relationship between Isaac and his father. Remember that Abraham was an old man when Isaac was born to him. Abraham had also been promised by God that he would have a multitude of descendants. These descendants, the nations of which Abraham would one day be the patriarch, would necessarily have had to come through Isaac as much as through Abraham. Those descendants would be Isaac's progeny as much as they would be Abraham's. And make no mistake, this would not have been lost on Isaac. My guess is that he was constantly reminded of it, that father and son discussed the destiny that God had prepared for them. And as he grew up, at some point, Isaac would have taken up that mantle, understanding that he too would one day have a son, and that son a son, and that somewhere down the line, the family would grow into a nation. Thus would God's promise be fulfilled. We don't know when, during the three days between God's command that Abraham sacrifice Isaac and the mountaintop altar in Moriah, Isaac realized that he would be the sacrifice. Perhaps it was just before his question about the lamb, and he was curious what his father would respond. Maybe Abraham knew that Isaac knew, but couldn't bring himself to say it aloud, so he simply responded, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And they went, both of them together, perhaps with nothing more than the tacit understanding of their purpose there. Then again, perhaps that realization happened far sooner or took far longer. But in any case, Isaac would have definitely known by the time that Abraham placed him on the altar. If we picture Isaac as a small boy, then it is easy to imagine how Abraham might have beguiled or otherwise deceived Isaac into his bonds, maybe by telling him that it was a game. If nothing else, then we can imagine a lurid scene in which Abraham manhandled his small child to the altar. However, if we assert that Isaac was a man, and no less one strong enough to carry wood up a mountain, then none of those previous scenarios make much sense. 
Isaac could have defended himself from Abraham, should he have chosen to do so. So I submit to you that Isaac was neither inveigled nor forced onto the altar. Isaac was a willing sacrifice. If you have a Bible, then it probably titles this passage, The Sacrifice of Isaac. But you'll note that this episode is titled The Sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac. And that is because this was a sacrifice for both of them, the father and the son. And this was a sacrifice of both of them, for each would somehow be dying by this action. For the father of nations would lose his son, and the son of the father of nations, too, would die without siring an heir. And so the father had to trust the son to submit to becoming a sacrifice. And the son had to trust the father that such was indeed God's will. They both had to trust God and have faith that this unfathomable, unconscionable, uncertain, and even unjust command was true, and that God would somehow still fulfill his promise to them, even though doing so would be an impossibility. Yet, Somehow, God, who is faithful, would make it work. Abraham and Isaac both evinced profound and inexplicable faith. Even though it made no sense and was beyond their comprehension, they agreed that if God had asked it of them, then they would do it. Thus, Abraham was willing to offer up his only son, who was the manifestation of God's own promise to him, and Isaac, who never deserved to die, brought his own wood to the altar and willingly submitted to the knife. Such was their faith in God. Let's not end our discovery just yet. Let us journey into even deeper layers. We need to draw our attention to the small detail that supposedly concludes the story. Recall that Abraham told Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Now note that no lamb was sacrificed that day. At the end of the tale, that which was offered was a ram. You see, the lamb that, according to Abraham, God had promised for a sacrifice, never showed up that day. Instead, it showed up roughly 2,000 years later. Only then was the story concluded. In the land of Moriah, there was another true son of a faithful father. And by faith, the son submitted to the father and became a sacrifice. In the land of Moriah, which is Jerusalem, a faithful father demonstrated uncompromising devotion and unparalleled love by offering up his one and only son, a true son. And that son, by faith, became a willing sacrifice and submitted to the will of his father. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he exclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God! 
the Christian tradition maintains that Jesus was 33 years old when he became the Lamb of God, the true sacrifice for all the world. That's the same age that the rabbis say Isaac was. But we can see that Isaac was never to be the sacrifice. It was never for people to do. Even people like Abraham and Isaac. No, it was for God to do. The sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac ends with this. So Abraham called the place Jehovah Yireh, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And God again proved to be unlike all the other gods. Other gods put the burden on the people. But not this one. The God of Abraham takes the punishment that is rightfully ours. Other gods want our actions, but this God wants our faith. The sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac, above all else, set the stage for an even greater scene. They were the shadows on the wall, auguring when father and son would act together in faith and love to redeem humanity by the willing submission of Jesus to the will of God. There is always a deeper layer in the Bible. So as we consider that, let me submit to you this closing thought. Either superficially or deep down at its core, every story in the Bible points to Jesus because he is the fulfillment of the entire story of the Bible, which is to say, the story of mankind. It always points to Jesus. Thank you for listening to Stories of Symmetry. My name is Ben Laboot, and I hope that you join again for the next episode, which will be out in two weeks. If you enjoyed today's show, then please share it with the people in your life. You can also give us a like, leave us a positive review, and subscribe to the show. All these things are greatly appreciated as they get us seen by more people and help spread the word. Again, I hope you'll be back with us in two weeks. And until then, go with God, go in peace.